And uh, as you're going there, I just kind of want to give you a little bit of a background of what Luke has been doing as he's laying out um, the progression that he's using to get to this point where we're going to be at in Luke chapter 5 tonight. Um, so as you're turning there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a review of what he's after. So what Luke has been doing is he's, uh, he's laying out the life of Jesus in these early chapters in the book of Luke. And he's, not only is he laying out the life of Jesus, but he's specifically um, laying out the, beginnings, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, um, especially in the last two chapters before Luke chapter 5. So I'm going to give you just a quick highlights of some of the points here um, coming into Luke chapter 5 so we understand where we're going to be at tonight. So if in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, Jesus comes into the town of Nazareth. And so as he comes into the town of Nazareth, like his custom was, he enters the synagogue. And as he enters the synagogue, he gives a message. And that message is recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And if we take a look at that message, we see that that message is a message of grace, that it's a message of hope. And in that message, what he does is he tells the people that he's speaking to that he is the promised one that's to come. He's the promised Messiah. So that's what he's laying out for in that message. And if you jump down to verse 30, in chapter 4, you see that he backs that claim up that he makes. The claim that he makes that he is that promised one that was to come. And he backs it up by showing us that he has the power and that he has the authority and that he demonstrates that he is who he said that he was. Because if you take a look in that section of scripture, you see that he's casting out demons. You see that he's healing the sick and he's doing it with just his word. So he's demonstrating that he does have the power, that he does have the authority to say, yeah, I am who I said that I was. So he's backing up the claims that he makes. And if you jump down to verse 42 in chapter 4, you would see where Jesus' priority lies. The priority of Jesus' life, in his life, the priority that he had was that he would seek the Lord in prayer. And Luke makes it specific. Several times in Luke's gospel, he points out that Jesus spends time in prayer, seeking his Father. And we know from Isaiah chapter 50 that this was Jesus' daily custom, that early each morning he would get up and he would go seek his Father in prayer. So if that's Jesus' priority, the question we've got to ask ourselves, is that our priority? Is it our priority? Do we seek God each and every morning? What's the first thing that comes into your mind each and every morning when you wake up? Are you thanking God for the day? Is that the first thing on your mind? Or are you worried about what the day holds? Because if that's Jesus' priority, shouldn't it be that much more for us? It should be our priority as well. And so what we're going to do as we follow this progression through coming into Luke chapter 5, what Luke is going to give us here in chapter 5 is he's going to give us another picture or another snapshot of what is going on in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so really what we've got to ask ourselves coming into this if Jesus is who he claimed to be, if Jesus has claimed to be God like we saw in the message that he gave in Nazareth, and he's demonstrated that by what we saw when he casted out the demons, when he was healing the sick and backing up the claims that he did, then what are we going to do about it? What is each one of us going to do about it? What are you going to do about those claims? What am I going to do about those claims? What's going to be our response to the fact that Jesus is who he said that he was? That's the question that Luke wants us to, get of, to ask of ourselves going through the whole gospel. That's the main idea. He wants us to ask of ourselves, who is this guy? 
If he claimed to be God and he backed it up, what are we going to do with it? And that's the question we've got to come to. So what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 5 is we're going to see the first disciples. The first ones that Jesus calls to follow him. And also we're going to get to see the response. How they're going to respond to the call that Jesus has put on their life. And in this, what we're going to get to see is we're going to get to see what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, the question that I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind as we go through this is, does this define me? Is this who I am? When we look at it, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. Ask yourself, is this me? Does it define me? Am I following Jesus in the way that these disciples did? So why don't you take a look with me. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Why don't we pray? Lord, I just... uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. I just uh, ask, Lord, that your word would pierce our hearts here tonight. That uh, not one of us would be able to leave here without being changed, Lord. That uh, we would apply your word to our lives, Lord. It's, uh, it's pointless if we come to your word just coming to say that, yeah, we read it. But it's got to change us. We've got to allow it to change us, Lord. And I just pray that, uh, I pray that we would. I just thank you, Lord, uh, for the freedom that we have to come and to uh, just seek you in your word. And, Lord, I just uh, ask that the eyes would be opened right now, that our eyes would be open to see what you have for us, and that our, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be open. And I just uh, I thank you for this time in your name, I pray. Amen. So, what I want you to look at here, the first thing that I want you to see is that uh, Jesus meets his disciples where they're at. So Jesus meets his disciples at where they're at, but he does not leave them there. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 5 here. And look what it says. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So look what it says. It says that the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God. So these people, these people were there. They were pressing in around him to take in the word that was coming from him. So the question I've got to ask is, what were they listening for? Why were these people there listening? It's simple. They were listening 
for the Word of God. That's why they were there. It's the Word of God that changes lives. That's what these people were after. That's why they were pressing in on Him. See, Jesus, He wasn't just another teacher. He wasn't just another Bible teacher. He wasn't just another one of the rabbis out there teaching. He was teaching the Word of God. And that's one of the things I really like about Calvary Chapels. I'll tell you, um, I had a hard time when I first moved to Idaho 11 years ago or so, coming to a Calvary Chapel because of the name on the building. I grew up in the Assembly of God, and I figured if it wasn't the Assembly of God, I wasn't going to church. But what I found when I came to Calvary Chapel is that they actually teach the Bible. The Assembly of God teaches the Bible as well, but they jump around. We go from verse to verse to verse to verse. We don't skip anything. That's one of the things that I love. And it's here because we're teaching the Word of God. It's from God's Word. We've got nothing to say unless it comes from the Word of God. And that's what's going on here. These people, they're pressing in on Him because He's teaching the Word of God. That's what's going on. Now, what I want you to notice here is who's not there. Who's not pressing in on Him? Because what Luke is doing here, he's laying out contrast for us. He's showing us a contrast between the crowd and the disciples. The disciples aren't there pressing in on him. So the crowd's pressing in, but what are the disciples doing? They're fishing. They're fishing and washing their nets, right? They're just carrying on their normal stuff. Their everyday activities. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's what they're doing. And Luke's laying that contrast out for us because he wants us to see that Jesus meets us where we're at. He doesn't make us change everything in our lives. He doesn't make us get all cleaned up before we can come to church. We don't have to be quote-unquote good people to be able to come to church. It's one of the biggest fallacies I think that America has right now. Americans think, yeah, I'm good because I go to church. I think it's one of the biggest deceptions that we have in church right now. We cannot just think that we're good because we're in church. But what I want you to realize is that's not what Jesus is after. He calls us where we're at and he makes us a new creation. That's what it's about. And see these disciples here, he meets these disciples where they're at. So, these fishermen, these fishermen, they're sitting there, they're washing their nets And as we're going to see, and as we already know because we read the passage and we know the story already anyway, one of these fishermen here is Peter. So they're washing their nets. Peter's washing his nets. Now, you think about it. He's been out all night fishing. He's running a business. Sometimes it's hard. You run a business. You lay the money out. You lay your finances out and you go out and he has no return for the day. He's got no way to go pay the bills. He's got no way to supply food for his family. So he's sitting there washing his nets. And I think we can learn something from Peter because wouldn't it be easier for him to say, yeah, I just want to get rid of that business. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm losing money in it right now. I'm going to go do something else. But he doesn't. We can learn something from him here. Peter here, he's an example that just because he comes up empty in something doesn't mean you quit. He's not going to go sell his nets. Just because we come up empty in something doesn't mean that we should go and sell our nets. Doesn't mean that we should go and quit. Just because we come up empty in some ministry doesn't mean that we should pull back and say, well, that's not going to go. I'm not going to do that anymore. Peter here, he's washing his nets because he's getting ready for the next day. See, those nets, if those nets that the fishermen used were not washed every single time that they were used, what they would do is they would rot in the drying process. And so as they would rot, next time they go out to catch fish, the nets would break. So every time that those nets were used, they had to be washed in fresh water and they had to be stretched. If not, they were going to break the next time they were used. And so 
for us, aren't we the instruments that God uses for His hall? Because really, what does the Bible tell us? We're really fishers of men, right? So who are we? We're really the net. So what does God want to do with us? The Lord wants to wash us regularly in the water of the Word. And He wants to stretch us as well. He wants to make us grow. That's what He's after. And sometimes it's easy for us to come with the attitude and just think, well, I'm not really bringing in anything. So why do I need to be washed in the Word? Why do I need to be stretched? I don't want to go through all that. The Lord really isn't using me. None of that really matters, so why even bother? And sometimes we come with that type of attitude, but look at these guys here. See, we know the story. We know how it comes out. We know about the haul of fish that they're going to take here in just a little bit. But what we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen with us for tomorrow. And so the Lord, He wants to wash us in the water of the Word. He wants to stretch us. He wants to get us ready for that haul that's coming. And see, when the Lord's going to use somebody... He doesn't use the one that's rotten. He doesn't use the one who's brittle. He doesn't use the one that's not useful. No, when he wants to work in a situation, he's going to touch the one who's been washed in the water of the word. He's going to use the one that's been stretched, the one that's been disciplined. And here these guys are. They're washing and stretching their nets. They're getting ready. So now, as we go through this section of Scripture, what I want to do, what I want you to see is I want you to see what are the characteristics of a disciple. So what makes a disciple? So the first thing that I want you to see here is that a disciple of Jesus listens to the Word of God. A disciple of Jesus listens to the Word of God. Look at verse 3. It says, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus here, he asked Peter to take him out. Now why? Why would he ask Peter to take him out? Isn't Jesus fully capable of himself to use that boat and go out? So if you back up and look in chapter 4, Jesus already knows Peter. Peter already knows Jesus. When Jesus taught in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum, Peter took him home. So he came home. Peter's, or Jesus has already healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Jesus knows Peter. I think if Jesus would have asked Peter, hey, can I use your boat? I would think Peter would have said, yeah, go ahead, take the boat, use it. So why? Why does Jesus have Peter take him out in the boat? Why does he ask him to take him out a little ways from shore? And I'd say it's because that way Jesus has a captive audience. If Peter's in the boat taking him out, where's Peter going to go? Peter has to listen. He has no way out. He has to listen to the word that's being spoken. So Jesus here, it says that he asked him to put out a little from the land. A little. Now, some of us, I think sometimes, I, I, I even do it myself sometimes, we wonder, well, why? Why should I be the one that has to teach Sunday school? Why should I be the one that has to work in the nursery? Why should I be the one that has to clean the church? Why should I be the one that has to clean the bathrooms? Why should I be the one that has to greet the people as they come in? Why should I be the one that has to run the soundboard? Why should I? Why should I? Why should I? And I'm convinced that part of the reason why the Lord tells us to be active in service is because He knows that if we're not, then we won't be here to hear the word. So He wants us. He wants us to be active in that service. Um, See, if we have no responsibility, what are we going to do? Oftentimes, if we have no responsibility, it leads to a lethargy. That subtle lethargy creeps in. Because if I don't have any responsibility, and I can just show up whenever I want to, all of a sudden, I'm not showing up as much as I need to be here. And the Lord knows that. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to be in. He wants us to be hearing the Word. And see, 
Jesus here, yeah, he was perfectly capable of taking himself out in that boat. And I'm sure Peter would have said, yeah, go ahead and take it. But what does he do? He says, Peter, take me out. Just like he might say to one of us, hey, Steph, run the soundboard for me. Hey, Daniel, teach the fifth graders. Now, do, does God really need me to teach the fifth graders? No, not necessarily. But I need to be used by the Lord so that I might be hearing from the Lord and that way I'm growing in the Lord. See, Peter here, he told Peter, take me out a little ways. And what did Peter do? He said, okay. And now Peter has to listen to everything that Jesus says and because of that, he's going to be growing in the Lord. And so what I want you to see here is that Peter was faithful. He was faithful to do the little thing that Jesus asked him to do. So Jesus, starting out, he started out by asking Peter a very, very simple thing to do. Put out a little ways from shore for me. Now, after Jesus was done speaking, he asked Peter to do something else. Look at verse 4. It says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So what's going on here? What's going on is that Jesus is progressively pushing Peter just a little bit more, a little bit more. He's saying, trust me. Just trust me a little bit more. Follow me just a little bit more. So what does Jesus do first? First he says, Peter, put out a little ways. And then he says, Peter, launch out into the deep. Now, a lot of times I think we come with the attitude of that we just want to launch right out into the deep. But we're not willing to put out a little. Or I think a lot of times we'll come with the, with the heart set or the mindset of, yeah, Lord, use me. Use me to further your kingdom. But, oh, Lord, no, I don't want to go change the diapers in the nursery. We don't want to do the little. We just want to launch out into the deep. And really, what Jesus has taught us, if we look in the Word, is that the one that is faithful in the little things is the one that's going to have the opportunities and the responsibilities in the, in the big things. That's what He teaches us. And I think sometimes we wonder, well, why am I not out in the deep? Why am I not out in the deep water? And maybe it's because we haven't been obedient in launching out in the little things, in the simple things. And so here what Peter was told to do is he was told to put out a little ways. And when he did that, when he did it faithfully, when he did it obediently, and when he did it to completion, then Jesus said, now go out to the deep waters and take in the catch. And see, if you think about it, if Peter had not obeyed that first command that seemingly insignificant command of putting out just a little, he would have never participated in that miracle that was going to come. So what's going on here is that Jesus is progressively pushing Peter just a little bit more, just a little bit more. He's saying, trust me just a little bit more. He's saying, follow me just a little bit more. And so he goes from something very simple saying, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Would you put me out just a little ways from shore in your boat? To Peter, will you trust me and do whatever I tell you to do? Even in an area of your expertise. So think about it. Who's Peter? Peter's a fisherman, right? That's his occupation. That's what he does. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine the scene of what's going on. And I want you to try to put yourself in Peter's shoes. So Peter, James, and John, they've been fishing all night. Now fishing, 
like the way they were fishing is not what we think about with fishing. It wasn't a recreation. It wasn't for sport. It wasn't something for fun. These guys worked hard. It was bone-weary, tiring work. If you've ever watched the show, The Deadliest Catch, you kind of get an idea of what these guys did every night. And they went out to fish night after night after night. They're tired. If you look down in verse 5, and we'll get to it in a minute, it says, Master, we have toiled. That word toiled in the Greek means that they labored to the point of exhaustion. So these guys are tired. Peter is tired. He is bone-weary tired. They've been away from their families all night. They probably stink. They smell like fish. I'm sure they want to go home. I don't know of too many people when it's time to go home from work, hang around work because they like being there. Most people want to go home. I'm sure he wanted to go home at that point. He's tired. And Jesus here, the Bible teacher, is telling them, hey, I know where the fish are. Trust me. So Jesus is telling them, go back out and throw out your nets. Now think about it. Peter just finished washing and stretching his nets. If he goes back out and throws those nets back in the water, he's got to do the whole process all over again. And not only that, every fisherman knew that you do not fish in the Sea of Galilee during the day. And you do not fish in the Sea of Galilee in the deep water. To catch fish, you fish at night and you fish in the shallow waters. That's how you catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. So every fisherman would have known that. So what Jesus here, what he's asking Peter to do was against everything that Peter would have known. It was against all of his training. It would have been against all of his expertise, all of his experience. It was against everything that he knew. And remember, there's a crowd of people watching on the shore. So Peter is being asked to do something that the crowd would have known would have been stupid. Why would you go do that? Why would you go back out into the water? So the crowd's sitting there watching it. Now, what I want you to see is I want you to look at Peter's answer in verse 5. It says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. That word master means rabbi or Bible teacher. So notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, hey, great fisherman. No, he said, hey, Bible teacher. We have toiled all all night and caught nothing. We have labored to the point of exhaustion and we caught nothing. So what Jesus was asking Peter to do was against everything that Peter knew. It was against all of his training, all of his experience, everything that he knew. Jesus was asking him to do something opposite. And see, what Jesus was doing here is that he's pressing the faith of Peter. He's saying, are you willing to trust me? So Jesus, what he's doing is he's getting right down into Peter's business, right into the deepest part of Peter's life, his livelihood, his occupation, the thing that Peter knew the most about. And so for us, are we willing? Are we willing to give every area of our life to Jesus? Would we do it if he asked for it from us? See, because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to ask us to trust him in the little things. And when we trust him in the little things, then he's going to ask us to trust him in the big things. So do you trust him? Do you trust him in your relationships? Do you trust him in your occupation? Do you trust him in the area where you feel most secure? Where is it that that's, you keep that on the back burner because you know that's my ace in the hole. That's my security. 
Do you trust him with that? And if he asked you for it, would you be willing to lay it down? Would you be willing to give it to him? Because that's what he's asking Peter to do right here. He's asking him to trust him in the area where Peter knew more than anything else. Would you trust him? Do you trust him? That's what he's asking Peter to do. Now, a disciple. A disciple listens to the word of God. That's the first characteristic of what a disciple is that, we, that I brought up. So he listens to the word of God no matter what he says. No matter how difficult it is, he listens to the word of God. And not only does a disciple listen to the word of God, but a disciple of Jesus obeys the word of God. So look at Peter's answer. Look at Peter's answer going on in verse 5. What Peter is doing is he's saying, this doesn't make any sense to me what you're asking me to do, Jesus. This is crazy. But look what it says. It says, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. See what's going on here. Peter here, this rational fisherman. He's like any other businessman that would have a rational mind looking to see what is taking place and to make the best decision. So Peter here, what he's doing, he's... He's been out all night. He's tired. They didn't catch any fish. You don't fish in the Sea of Galilee in the day. You don't fish in the Sea of Galilee in the deep part. This is what's probably going through his mind. We got nothing. He's probably even thinking, yeah, Jesus, I know you have good intentions, but you just don't get fishing. But what does Peter do instead? It says, Peter submits. He submits to all of that stuff. And he lays it down and he steps out in obedience. He steps out in an area where it just seems crazy. There is no rational sense to do this. What Jesus is calling him to do. What Jesus is asking him to do. There's no rational sense in it at all. But what does he do? He steps out in simple faith. See, a disciple of Jesus just doesn't listen but they obey. What does James tell us? James tells us in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, Jesus here, or what James is saying here, James is saying, that's great. It's great that you listen to the word. It's great that you hear the word of God. That's great. It's great that you go to church. It's great that you're in the word for yourself, but the question what James wants us to get us to ask of ourselves is, are you doing what God is calling you to do? That's the mark of a disciple. You hear, you listen, and you obey. What's God calling you to do? What step of obedience is he asking from you? Maybe you've been in the Word reading. Maybe you've been coming on Wednesday nights, on Sunday mornings to Bible studies or whatever, and you keep hearing the same thing over and over again. What is it that's God work, that God is working on you in your life? What is it? I don't know. I don't know what it is for each of you, but I do know that He is. I know that because that's the way my God works. He's going to keep pushing each and every one of us because He has a call for each and every one of us, and He wants us to answer that call. Are you being obedient to that call that he's calling us to? Or are you just brushing it off? What's he asking you to trust in him? What's he asking you to obey in? And are you obeying? So what I want you to see here, I want you to see what happens to a disciple when they obey. Look at verse 6. 
It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. See, what's taking place here is Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Trust me. He's saying, trust me, and look at what happens. See, when we trust him, he gets an opportunity to display his glory in our lives. But when we don't trust him, when we don't step out in faith, God isn't going to display his glory in our lives in the way that he wants to, in the way that he would like to. Because if we're going around living our life with the attitude or that we're going to just rationalize everything and that everything that we do, we, can, we have an answer for it. We have a way to say, yeah, this is why it happened. It was because of my abilities. It was because of my skills. It was because of my time, my finances, my resources, my money, my whatever made this thing happen. Then Jesus doesn't get the credit for it. Then he doesn't get the glory for it in the way that he wants to. And what God wants us to do is he wants us... He, he wants to do something so big in our lives that only He can receive the glory for it. He wants to do something so big in our lives that only He can receive the credit for it. So let me ask you this question. If God is calling you to do something, are you willing to step out in faith in such a way that if God didn't show up, you would fall flat on your face? It's an interesting question to think about because this is what's going on with Peter. Remember the crowd, the multitude sitting on the shore watching this take place. And they know this guy's crazy if he's going to take his boat back out in the water. What a waste of time. What a waste of his resources. See, if Jesus didn't show up after the call that he placed on his life, Peter stepped out to faith in such a point that if Jesus didn't show up, he was going to fall flat on his face. And that's what he's asking us to do. Are we willing to step out in faith to the point that if Jesus didn't show up, we're going to fall flat on our face. Because that's what he wants. That's what he's asking us to do. He wants us to step out in faith in such a way that he receives the glory. Because really, he is the only one that can change lives. That's who changes lives. He's the only one that can solve marriages. He's the only one that can do any of that stuff. So are you stepping out? Are you willing to step out in faith? Are you allowing God a chance to show up? Are you praying in such a way that only He can receive the glory? Are you praying in such a way so that only He can receive the credit for whatever happens? Well, guys, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what is it that He's calling you to step out in faith to do? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe God wants you to be so generous in your giving that only He can show up to provide for you. Maybe it's in serving. Maybe God's calling you to serve in such a way that if you step out and He doesn't show up, you're going to crash. Maybe, that, maybe that's what it is. Maybe He's called you to do that and you've been waiting and you've been holding back because you're thinking, man, there's no way that I can be useful in that area. There's no way that I can be helpful in that area. But what God wants us to do, He's saying, step out in faith and use that gift that I've given you for my glory. That's what He wants from us. He wants us to trust in Him. Now, I don't know. I don't know what God is calling each and one of us to do, but I do know that He is. He's calling us. He's calling us to step out in some kind of faith. What is it? And if you don't know, spend time with Him. He'll let you know. 
He doesn't want it to be a mystery. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to follow after Him. Now what I want you to do here, real quick, in verse 8. I want you to take a look at this. Look at verse 8. It says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now I want you to look at that verse. That word, it, when it says, When Simon Peter saw it, that word, if you look in your Bible, it should be in italics. That word, it, is not there in the original manuscripts. Um, people, when they, when they wrote the Bible, they put the italicized words in to help us understand what it says. I want to read it without that it, because I think it, it, uh, it muddies up the water. Look at it this way. When Simon Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So what did Peter see? I don't think he fell down on his knees because he saw the catch of fish. That's not what he was after. He saw Jesus for who he was. And remember, the, remember what Luke was trying to do when we started, when we coming into this passage, the progression that he's laying out. He wants us to ask of ourselves, is Jesus really who he said that he was? I think Peter saw it right there. He saw it and he realized that Jesus is God. Remember, Jesus asks him later on in the gospel, who do people say that I am? Who was the one that answered? It's Peter. Peter said, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. He knew. He saw it. He saw it right there. Now what I want you to do is jump down to verse 10 real quick. And we're almost done. Partway through verse 10, Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all. And followed him. So, do you see the progression that's taking place here through this passage? There's a simple call Hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Can you put me out a little ways from shore? To a more difficult call Peter, go out and fish where I tell you to fish, even though you think you know where the fish are at. To the ultimate call, which is right here Peter, drop everything and follow me. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to drop everything, no matter what it is, to follow him if that's what he asked of you? Because if he asks it and we have not made that decision prior, we're not going to make the right choice. We've got to lay it all down. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to lay it down. He wants us to trust him. So are you willing? Are you willing to give up everything and follow him? Now, I want you to think for a minute here. What is Peter giving up? at this point. What's he walking away from? He's walking away from his career. He's going to leave his boats there, everything that he had invested in them. He's walking away from the business, the partnerships that he had with those guys. He doesn't know the other guys are going to go with him. He's walking away from his livelihood. And he's walking away from all those fish. Can't imagine the number of fish that it is that would sink two boats. It's a lot of fish. He could have expanded his empire if he wanted to. He's walking away from all of that. So are we? Are we willing to follow Jesus to this extent? The question that I want you to keep in the forefront of your minds going through this section of Scripture is, that, does this define me? Am I following Jesus in the way that these disciples did? That's the way Jesus wants us to follow him. Are we willing to give it all up? 
doesn't matter what it is. Are we willing to give it up and lay it down and put Jesus as number one? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, I just uh, I thank you for your word, Lord. I just thank you that your word is so powerful, Lord, and that it is for us today. And Lord, I just uh, I ask, Lord, that uh, this message that you've given us, Lord, I just pray that it would just uh, change our hearts, change our minds, Lord. And I pray that we would be willing to follow you in such a way that when people look at us, they'd say, man, there is no way it can be them. It has to be Jesus. It has to be God showing up in their lives because there's no way what you have asked them to do and they've done, they could have done under their own power. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be witnesses for those that are around us, Lord, that we would be lights in this dark world shining out and taking your gospel to those that are lost. And Lord, I pray that would be our heart's cry is to take your word to those that are lost around us, Lord, and that we would have hearts like you did, hearts for the lost. That's why we're here. We're here to see you glorified and we're here to see people come and follow after you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just challenge us and take this word with us, Lord. Let us take it home and chew on it. Lord, I just pray that you would not relent from chasing after us, that you would just, that you would chase us to the point where you would just bring us to the point where we can do nothing but follow after you. I thank you, Lord, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.